Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we have Nika Lori. She's a certified high-performance health coach, a behavior change specialist, and a clean living advocate. She's also the host of Health and Hustle podcast and the founder of Health and Hustle, a lifestyle and media company. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about clean living, avoiding toxins and products, which we're going to go pretty deep on. And we're also going to touch a little bit on Alzheimer's disease and how to have a happy, healthy hustle. So this is going to be a great episode and I hope you really enjoy. Welcome to the Kakatibi Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Nika. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and what it is you do? Because I know you do so many things. Yeah, so I have kind of a, a crazy background story, but um, right now, so I am I own my own business. I'm a high performance health coach, and so I work with uh, busy professionals, entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, kind of C-suite executives, and I help them really get to their peak performance, really focus on their health and wellness throughout the hustle and bustle of their busy day. And, uh, you know, I really love what I do working with them because I think it's truly life changing. And while I'm helping others, I really get a lot of a lot out of that as well. So I'm always super grateful for my clients. But the story of how I got here is kind of interesting. So I actually used to work in um, one, the music and entertainment industry. So I did that for years and years and years and completely burnt out. I was working sometimes even up to 20 hours a day. Um, and then I would literally work the next day over and over again with almost no sleep. It was really, really hard. And I was living in Los Angeles and New York doing that kind of stuff. And it just takes a toll on your body. And so I kind of hit this point where I was like, I had enough. I just needed to take care of myself. And so I moved back home to where I grew up at. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where I live now. And I really just took some time to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I went back to school for a second time and I had finished my degree in psychology. And then I also have a degree in communication and journalism. Um, and I really loved that. And while I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I was offered a job at the Alzheimer's Association, which is a large nonprofit that helps families dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. And so I worked there for just short of a decade. And that really immersed me in understanding the need and importance for health and wellness and how just detrimental not taking care of yourself can be to your body and, and especially your brain working in dementia. And so it really kind of motivated me to start taking care of myself more and really get focused. And unfortunately, after working there for about a decade, I also burnt out there it was quite a few hours, even though I was focusing much more on my diet and health and wellness, I still was working crazy hours and super stressed. And so I ended up leaving there a couple of years ago and really focusing on starting my own business, which is where I started doing health coaching. And so that's kind of a short story of how I got to where I am today. Awesome. So yeah. there's a lot of topics to cover. So we're going to mm -hmm. start with clean living because I'm, yes. Yes, I'm a big proponent of clean living. I avoid fragrances, endotoxins, fillers, additives, colors, oh, all that. Junk. I love it. Me too. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that stuff. I absolutely love, I love this topic. Yes. And 
a lot of my audience, a good chunk of them, we all have hormonal problems. Oh, good to know. So it's a very important thing for us to like be able to avoid these chemicals. So could you tell us a little bit about why you feel clean living is so important? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the moment that was most eye-opening to me that really made the shift uh, to move to clean living was when I heard about the fact that there's about 80,000 chemicals right now that are used in either our food or our beauty products or home products, home products being like lotions or shampoos or detergent, I mean, you name it, these chemicals are in them. And and of the 80,000 plus chemicals, there's only about 1,200 or so that have ever actually been tested for safety on humans, you know, in the sense of like not causing cancer or birth defects or, um, you know, disrupting our, our uh, the way our brain works and the hormones in our body and you name it they haven't been tested. These Most of these chemicals have not been tested. And to add to that, the ones that have been tested or the fact that these chemicals are even used at all, those are regulated by laws that were created in the 1920s and the 1930s and really haven't been updated or changed in a hundred years. And so knowing that and knowing that we don't actually know the effects that all these chemicals have on our bodies and our babies and our, you know, our families in general, it really was eye-opening for me and a total game changer. I went through my entire house and, and scanned and removed everything and, I read every label now before I bring things into my house. So that was kind of the big, big starter for me. So the older generations and a lot of our parents seem to reject the idea of clean living. The old, when I was your age, we drank from the garden hose and only ate microwave meals and we're all fine. So how have our lives become more bombarded with toxins throughout the generations? To go back to the older generation, you know, they may be drinking from the water hose and, um, you know, eating microwave food, but they have to also realize that there weren't as many chemicals in everything back then either. You know, we weren't having as much um, chemicals running through our our water systems. And so drinking from the hose will may not have always been safe because of bacteria and different things that were in there. Um, you know, there, there was also probably not as much Uh, jet fuel coming through that or, you know, wash off from pesticides from plants and things like that. And so, you know, it's the planet and our, our culture are a much different place than they were even 10, 20 years ago, let alone 40 or 50 or 60 years ago. So it's a very different environment now. On, on the flip side of that, we also have to understand that these chemicals are in literally almost everything we touch anymore. It is really, if you look at the labels, it's really, really hard to find things that don't have some kind of um, chemical or or um, disruptor that's it, it placed in those in- ingredients. And so I'll give you an example um, that you mentioned fragrances earlier. So the word fragrance or perfume is actually just a cover word for potentially any one of those 80,000 chemicals that are used. The manufacturers are allowed to just say fragrance And so us as consumers assume that that's just like an essential oil or something that makes it smell good. But in reality, that could be, you know, 2000 different chemicals mixed into one to make it smell like vanilla, Um, you know, or the same kind of goes with natural flavoring in our food. So you see natural flavoring listed in, in ingredients in our food. You'll also see it, you know, 
organic natural flavoring, which I've always kind of found ironic, but natural flavoring is just a cover for potentially chemicals. They are not required to list out what those natural flavors or are or what the ingredients are that made up that smell for that fragrance or perfume. And so we really have no idea what's actually in all of these products. So let's say someone is finally on board and they decide, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. I want to be more non-toxic. Where should they start? Well, the first thing is to kind of start small. I always tell my clients to, you know, learn what in the different areas, there's a bunch of different areas. So whether it's food or whether it's the stuff we put on our bodies, like lotions and uh, makeup, whether it's home items. So I'll give an example of like Tupperware containers or the uh, water bottles we drink from, you know, or also the shampoos and, and detergents and things we use. I say start in one area and start figuring out which, how far you feel comfortable with those toxins. Um, there's a couple apps I use. So I use the Environmental Working Group. They have two apps that are fabulous, one for food and one for health and beauty products. And then there's also another app. I'm drawing a blank on it, but I can think of it in just a second. Um, and that app does the same thing like health and beauty products and um it's called Think Dirty, the app. It's, it's great. But you can scan the barcode of all of these items, and it'll tell you what's actually in the item, and it'll give you a score. Usually, they go from 1 to 10, 10 being really toxic or bad um, and something to be aware of, 1 or 0 being pretty clean and they can't find anything or they don't know of anything that's super toxic to humans listed in the ingredients. I try to stay at a five or a four and below. I don't tend to buy anything that has a a number rated higher than that. And so when I tell my clients to kind of start small, I say pick one area of your house. So let's start in your bathroom and let's look at if it's your, your makeup products. Let's scan all those makeup products and figure out which ones have a high number of maybe eight, nine, ten. You'd be surprised how many have those. And then let's look at the ones that only have a zero, a one, or a two and try to clean out some of that makeup product. And then before you bring in new stuff into your house, you can go to the store and scan it, or you can search the name in these different apps and to see what the rating is. And so that'll help you before you even buy new products, figure out which ones are healthy. Um, Other small changes that you can make are just changing the types of cookware and stuff that you use. So an example is not drinking from plastic straws, but instead replacing them with glass. Uh, Same with water bottles. It's important to use a glass or um, a metal uh, water bottle to help remove some of the toxins that come out of the plastics. Because even if it says BPA-free, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't other um, BP products in it. So there's also BPS and BPF, which can cause similar issues that BPA causes. And so really just kind of picking small areas in your house to start and then working through the house from there. And over time, it'll grow. You'll learn more and you'll get more comfortable with it. But if you don't start small, it can be really scary. It can be really overwhelming. And so just pick specific areas and start there and then grow from there. I remember when I had my daughter and I was looking for an alternative to plastic dishes for her because she was a Mm -hmm. baby and I didn't want her to throw anything across the room. 
Yes. I looked everywhere. I found bamboo things, but then I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, the chemicals that they use to make bamboo into a specific shape are super toxic. Yes. And yeah. then I'm just like, that's going to leach into our food. This is going to leach into our food. Everything was toxic. And finally, I just decided, okay, you're just going to have a glass. And then if you break it, you break it because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually did similar things. So, you know, I bought real cheap, um, glass little, uh, jars, like, um, uh, just kind of, they're like the little dishes that you use to put spices in and I would just use those. And so, you know, 20 of them came in a box for like $10 or something. And so if they broke, they broke, I could always get more if I needed to. And so I use that a lot. And then I also, you know, there's a few places that occasionally I would compromise. Occasionally I would let her um, use one of those little uh, uh, plastic trays, but it was really minimal and in between. And I felt like, you know, if I can do really good 80 to 90 percent of the time, that's better than not trying at all. And so understanding that you have to figure out as an individual what your comfort level is and then just try to do the best you can to stay within that. So what do you know about silicone? Is silicone safe? You know, I think there's still research about it. Um, I would I would say use silicone over normal plastics. Um, that's definitely something that I tend to lean towards, but I'm still, I think the research is still out. I think we're still learning about silicone and trying to figure out if it's safe or not, because you even hear about a lot of the issues about silicone, say in like breast implants and stuff like that's really toxic and can be uh, be an issue there. And so if that's causing problems when it's inside our body, there's probably odds are that it's going to cause problems when we're getting um, micro bits of it from our food, touching it and stuff like that. So it's a hard answer. I don't have a a black and white yes or no on it, Um, but I always try still to lean towards using a glass product opposed to silicone. What are some of the most toxic everyday products that we come in contact with? Oh my gosh. Um, Laundry detergent is really scary actually, and uh, dryer sheets. Um, There's so much stuff that's added to those things that is not necessary. Um, one of the most toxic ones is actually one of the most common brands. And I don't know if I want to say the brand name, but it's, it's bright orange. (laughs) Um, and so you just have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, looking at all the ingredients that are in it. I think the other one that, uh, really strikes me as terrifying are the energy drinks. Um, so looking at, um, you know, the chemicals that actually make up the majority of, of energy drinks that people are drinking. I mean, they're not even words that you can pronounce and they're, they're chemicals that we've never even heard of. And so, um, you know, once you start reading those ingredients, they're, they're pretty scary. Are there any products out there or areas where there's different products that maybe things are not perfect, but we don't need to focus too hard on? Like, for example, in food, you have the dirty dozen, but there's also, I think, the clean 15. So are there any materials that are kind of safe enough to touch? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, it really depends on the individual's comfort level. I think everyone's going to be different when you look at what they're comfortable, like what exposure they're comfortable with. For me, I am pretty careful because I've done a lot of research in this and I've spent a lot of time learning about how these different things can affect you. And so for me, it's kind of 
scared me clean, I guess, if that makes sense. But, you know, I think it's, um, again, it really just depends on the, the comfort level. Some people are comfortable using plastic and others aren't. Um, and so it's, it's a hard answer for me to give just because people are so individual in their needs. Um, but, you know, pretty much anything I, for me personally, pretty much anything outside of using metal or or metal or glass, I really tend to avoid. Occasionally I'll use something that's silicone, but that's pretty rare. I heard even stainless steel drinking bottles could have some sort of leaching. Yeah. So there's, there's, um, so the vacuum sealed ones, I feel more comfortable about. There are um, a lot of reports coming out that um, things like uh, canned food, the, the the glue and stuff that they use to seal the cans for canned food, that stuff's leaching into our food. Um, so it really just, as far as I know from the research I've seen so far, it's really based on how the metal is um, sealed together. And so vacuum sealed is what I've seen so far as the safer alternative. Um, but keep in mind, anytime you use anything, there's always going to be little micro bits that kind of fall off and end up in our food or whatever we're using. And so, you know, these are microscopic amounts of it, but over time that stuff builds up into it in our bodies. That's the big reason why people are so cautious about plastic is because they think that there's quite a bit of plastic in human beings just from those little micro pieces um, breaking off into our food and us ingesting us ingesting them. And then our body doesn't know how to process them. So oftentimes they're just pushed off into, you know, either our bloodstream and moved off into different areas, like it'll store in our fat cells and stuff like that. And so it can really just um, build up over time. So I've heard that there's a lot of BPA. It's like the slick film on receipts, like mm -hmm. that thermal mm -hmm. paper or whatever. So I noticed I need to take a prescription for my thyroid. And of course, they put the little label on and it's that same BPA material. So it's in receipts. It's on our prescription medication. It's on a lot of packing and shipping labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that's a really um, – uh, hardly known fact. Um, I'm really careful about touching receipts. I really try to touch them as little as possible. And then usually I wash my hands afterwards. And I know it seems kind of extreme, but you just think about how much we touch all those things all the time and how much that stuff can build up over the years that we're touching everything. And so, you know, obviously we have to touch them to throw them in our bag or throw them away and stuff like that. But I think if you're just careful and then try to wash your hands and, you know, use soap to get that, those chemicals off, that's, that's the best thing you can do. Maybe we can bring back like cotton gloves and make that fashionable again. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Especially right now with everything going on. Why not? Yeah. Just one more thing. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we also have flame retardants in our mattresses and pajamas yes. where we spend mm -hmm. half our lives. Is there anything being done to mandate to stop these chemicals from being mandated to be in these products? You know, that's a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that to be totally honest. Um, I, you know, I know that they have brought things up for um, 
the federal government to make changes over the years, but I haven't seen anything specific pass. Um, and then there have been different states that have looked at different laws like that, but I don't know of anything specific right now that's being worked on. Um, a great place to go to find out about those kind of things is the Environmental Working Group. Um, they're fantastic about staying on top of those things and really working to get laws changed. And so it's a good area to find out more. Um, I apologize that I don't have exact answers on that. The fire retardant stuff is, it's really scary how much stuff it's in. And when you know the backstory to it, so understanding that what was happening originally was that people were smoking and they were, you know, burning their houses down at night because they would fall asleep with a cigarette and it would fall into their bed or their clothes or something like that. And they'd burn down the house and they would get either injured or killed. And so what the manufacturers did is instead of helping people not smoke anymore, they said, well, let's just add fire retardant to all of our stuff. So our clothing, our, you know, our linens, our mattress, those kind of things, not testing the safety of fire retardant on people. Um, and so it, it causes a lot of health issues. It's related to cancer and developmental issues. And um, they think it's linked to some infertility as well. And so it's really important to look at your labels and make sure that it does not have fire retardant on both your clothes and uh, linens and stuff like that. Especially check little kids' clothes because often little kids' clothes have uh, fire retardant in it. Um, and you can sometimes smell stuff in it too. If, if it's a new item and you open up a, a bag or a box, like if, say you ordered it online and it has a really um, heavy smell, um, that can be a sign that they've used some kind of chemical for that too. So what I do is, because I heard that if it's tight fitting, they usually don't put it, but if it's more loosely fitted pajamas, they'll put more or they have to put it or something. So I just have one rule in the house, you can wear whatever to bed, but it can't be actually a pajama. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. So, um, and then also sometimes the tight fitting stuff can be, um, uh, can cause some issues as well, just with um, blood flow and stuff like that. So you got to be real careful. Mm -hmm. So do you know anything about the California Prop 65? Because it seems that label is like on everything. I even bought a water fountain for my backyard and it's covered with that label. So I'm like, should we be scared of everything? <laughs> I think so. So I, I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you exactly what's in the law. I can't remember exactly. But in the sense of being scared of everything, I think it's really important that us as consumers start to get educated on this information and understand what's going into all of these products. I mean, as a whole, we are a very unhealthy country. We are overweight. We are filled with toxins. We are, you know, filled with depression and anxiety and stress. And a lot of times that comes from what we're putting into our body. Our bodies are stressed out from all of these chemicals and toxins and processed foods. And so, you know, being afraid of everything, I don't think is the answer. I think what it is, is to get educated and to figure out what comfort level you feel comfortable at, what you're comfortable bringing into your home and, and allowing your family to touch or be affected by. And then from there, our checkbooks, our credit cards, our debit cards are the ones that make the decisions. And so if we continue to tell 
um, you know, stores and manufacturers that we don't want to buy things that have these toxic chemicals and stuff in them, they will start making products that have fewer of those toxic chemicals in them. And so it's really up to us as the consumer to set the expectations. And we set those expectations by how we spend our money. So when we make the choice to have like more of a clean living situation, it does not have to be all or nothing. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I actually kind of push against that um, because when when you say all or nothing, people get scared. People are like, I don't know how to do all of this. It's scary. I don't. And so they don't even start. They're just like they just give up. And so um, I I take this line from a, a documentary that came out last year. I forgot the name of the documentary, but it really stuck with me and it's really worked with a lot of my clients. Instead of all or nothing, it's all or something. And so you can do everything. Like you can clean out your whole house, remove everything, um, you know, read every label, which is, which is where I've gotten now. I'm very careful about that stuff, but I would still say I'm not an all I'm, I'm pretty close to an all, but I would still say I'm not perfect about it. The the flip side of that is just do something. So again, just pick one area to start with. So whether that's giving up plastic water bottles or going through your makeup and understanding what's actually in your makeup or, you know, um, looking at starting to read your food la- labels and understanding what's actually in your food. And so just start with something. And then once you're comfortable with that thing, add another thing in and then build from there so that over time you reach an area that feels really good to you. Knowing that we may never be perfectly clean, are there any habits or ways to detox that we can easily incorporate into our lives? Yeah. So I would say, you know, some of the easy things to do is at least start to add more vegetables to your life. So have a rule that you have to eat a vegetable at every meal or at least every dinner or something like that. Again, start where you're comfortable at. Um, Try to start cutting down on the amount of fast food you're eating so that you're not getting all the, 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 processed food and and toxins that come in that kind of stuff Um, or, or start by again, reading your labels. And if there is a, if there's an ingredient that you can't identify like onion or carrot or so, you know, if it's like some random ingredient that you can barely from pronounce that should start a red flag in your, in your head and say, yeah, maybe I don't want this in my body. And so, you know, getting comfortable with those little habits um, it, it started a ripple effect and so, or kind of a rolling rock effect. And so, you know, you start with one and you feel really good because you got to win because you did something that's good for you. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, add in something else. And then again, add in something else. The trick really is to just take that first little baby step and then grow from there. So I want to switch gears just a little bit because mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about Alzheimer's disease. This is like one of those scary possibilities that are facing people more and more. Yeah. So why do you think it's on the rise and is there anything we can do? Yeah. So, okay. So Alzheimer's is fascinating to me. So the, the, I think the most misunderstood thing is that if mom had it, I'm going to have it like that. It's a totally genetic thing that runs in the family. And that's actually not the truth. What the reality is, is a genetic factor, usually that only attests to about 5% of cases. Um, So meaning that if mom has it, you're going to get that. It's usually only about 5% of the time. 
Um, other people will test positive for a, a genetic um, marker called APO, a, APEO4. And that is that increases your likelihood of getting it, but that does not necessarily mean that you are going to get it. And one of the ways that you can um, lessen your odds of getting it is really focusing on uh, your body's health. So heart health is brain health. Physical exercise is brain health. Not eating toxic food is brain health. And so really focusing on self-care. And I don't mean self-care as in like getting your hair done and your nails done. I mean self-care as in lowering your stress levels, drinking water, continuing to learn and expand your brain, use those different neurons, um, physical exercise, so trying to get at least 15 minutes a day, if not 30, um, you know, eating healthy, eating things that are clean, things like organic berries are really good. Um, dark chocolate is can be really beneficial. So you want to be like ideally 80% higher or 70% is okay. The, the less amount of sugar <laughs> in the chocolate, the better. You really want to have more of a cocoa powder. And then things like um, eating similar to the Mediterranean diet has shown um, some uh, positive correlations between brain health and diet. So things like um, green leaves, uh, fresh vegetables, lots of olive oil, um, avocado, healthy fats, those kind of things. And so there's a lot you can do to help mitigate um, or minimize the uh, potential of getting the disease, even if you have that genetic factor. Um, and so, you know, right now where we stand in the country is that 85-year-old and over, it's a 50-50 chance you're going to get it. Below that, it's one in three, and it's actually higher odds for women. Um, about two-thirds uh, women get it, opposed to one-third men. And so it's really, really important, especially for us women, to really think about this stuff ahead of time. And the most important thing that I could drive home with that is that uh, – the changes in our brain start when we're in our like 30s, 30s and 40s. Even if we don't see the the actual um, memory changes or behavior changes until you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, the brain changes are actually starting in your 30s and 40s. And so the sooner and younger you are when you start to really focus on getting healthy, the better off you'll be. So you do so many things. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yes. So can you help us out a little bit? What are your top suggestions for heightening your performance and productivity? I think the first thing is to really um, change your relationship with time or really get comfortable with your relationship with time. Um, one of the things that I hear a lot from my clients is like, I'm so busy. I don't have enough time to work out. I don't have enough time to cook. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, how to fit everything into my day. And the reality is that we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Some of us have just decided to prioritize some things over other things. And so when I say change your relationship with time, one of the things I would say is to take, take a couple minutes and to really sit down and think about your top four or five priorities. Um, your, your, the most important things that 
that are important to you in your life. So my example would be, you know, spending time with my daughter and my family, um, taking care of my health and wellness and focusing on that. Um, you know, another one is growing my business and working with my clients and loving what I do. Um, so that's a couple examples. And so when I think about how I'm spending my time throughout the day, I look at those top priorities and I make sure that there is time set aside specific for those priorities. And if there's other things on my on my calendar that are not in those top five priorities, I try to either get those off my calendar or minimize the amount of time that I have to spend with those so that I can keep as much quality time focused on those top priorities. And so that getting really focused and really clear about how you spent your time, um, especially if you're doing things like, um, you know, doom scrolling on social media. I know it's been hard lately, but watching the news all the time with everything that's going on really try to just set aside like 30 minutes a day to know what's going on to watch the news or something um, and, and calendar those in so that you can get really clear about how you're spending your time. Because once you start watching it, you start to realize how much time you're just spending kind of on junk or just kind of, you're just giving yourself your time away to apps or things that you might not necessarily care about. And so once you start to do that, you can really focus on priorities and that helps you get really clear about what you want to work towards. So it's kind of a long answer about the time and relationship to time, but it's a really, really beneficial tool. And then the other one I would say is, is you know, it's it sounds pretty straightforward and simple, but if you can spend a little bit of time exercising every single day, and then drinking some water, especially with like electrolytes, because most of us are dehydrated, uh, you will be surprised how much more clarity you have and, and removing brain fog. The other thing is cutting down on sugar. Sugar has a very, very strong correlation to brain fog. And so if you feel like you're, you know, um, overwhelmed and stressed out and burnt out and you're kind of on that peaks and lows and peaks and lows of energy throughout the day, Oftentimes that's related to your blood sugar and um, learning how to remove some sugar from your, from your life can really help kind of even out your blood sugar so you don't have those ups and downs. Do you have any maybe like go-to tools that you use to help you stay organized, maybe an app on the phone, maybe a program or anything like that that you can share with us? Yeah, so uh, one of the apps that I use um, that I really love is called Productivity. Um, and so all it is is like a, a daily reminder checklist. And so I have habits on there that I want to do every single day. So, you know, did I take my multivitamin? Did I, you know, uh, work out today? Did I read through my daily priorities? Did I spend you know, half an hour with my daughter, just her and I playing together? Did I, you know, whatever, whatever your priorities, priorities are, you can go through those and throughout the day, it sends me little reminders. And so I can check them off throughout the day. And it's kind of like crossing something off on your list. You feel happy when you get the little ding because you checked it off. And so that one just helps me kind of keep my priorities front and center and, and the reminders help me. And that helps me build habits and stuff over time as well. So it just becomes um, a custom. It's a second nature. Uh, the other thing that I really love is I actually use a, a bullet journal and I do it a little bit different than they're kind of popular. You'll see videos on YouTube about bullet journal. 
but what I do is just, I just do uh, a six day list. And so I have Monday through Saturday, um, cause I'm very strict to take Sunday off to just disconnect from everything, but I track all of my to do tasks on there. And then whatever I don't finish on Monday rolls over onto Tuesday and then rolls over onto Wednesday. And so it always helps me keep track of the things that I need to do. And it really helps me prioritize my time throughout the day and knowing, you know, odds are I can usually only get three to four large things done throughout the day. And so if my list ends up getting to six or seven, I know I have to kind of spread that stuff out throughout the week. And so it gives you a broader view of what your week looks like, opposed to just having a normal, um, you know, a to-do list that's not scheduled out through the week. It's just on a a sheet of paper or something. So a lot of us are either now we're working from home or maybe a lot of us have been let go from our jobs and we're having Mm -hmm. to start a side hustle. Do you have any tips for maybe new entrepreneurs to avoid burnout in such a stressful time? Yeah. So this is a big one. So the thing with starting a side hustle is at first you got to get really focused on kind of what it is you want to do. I think, I think the most important thing for entrepreneurs to start with is really get clear on what their heart is telling them. And I know that sounds a little woo woo, but, but the thing I struggled with for years when I was starting my business was who my target market was, who my niche was, because I was so scared of not including people and then like offending those people. And then I wasn't going to get business because I was so narrow and all of these things. And what I realized over time was that the more I focused in and the more I got clear on who I worked with, the far easier my job became. And it was, I spent so much less time spinning the wheels and so much more time really just getting, you know, chunking out the really important tasks I needed to get done. And so before, like when I started my business, I was probably putting about 60 hours a week into it. Now I probably put about 30 hours a week into it. And even that give or take sometimes, And I am making far more money and connecting with more clients and feel mentally so much better. And so really getting clear on that, you know, who your target market is and who, you know, how you want to serve um, is really, really important. And the only way that I found for me um, to do that is really to search inside kind of my heart, my soul. Um, And so one of the things that I do is I just go sit in silence And so um, people tease me, but I'll go sit in my closet because it's dark and there's not distraction and there's not noise and all this stuff. And, and I just sit there. It's not even necessarily meditation. It's literally just sitting there and I'll let my mind wander if it does. And usually what starts to come is that I get answers. I get clarity. I get the information that I'm desperately looking for. Um, And so that can start to point me in the right direction. And so What I would say to these entrepreneurs is that if you haven't already gotten really, really clear on how you're going to serve, whether that's through a service or a product or, um, you know, coaching or something like that, you know, get really clear on that. And then also spend a lot of time really getting focused on who you're going to serve, that target market. And once you have that, everything else starts to kind of fall in place. You're able to create your marketing material. You're able to start connecting with people in different networks that fit that target market. It just clarifies everything and it makes it so much easier. 
So I know you do high-performance coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about your free 30-minute coaching session and how high-performance coaching works? Yeah, so um, so I do a, three, a free 30-minute intro call. Um, this is for anyone who wants to uh, go through the session with me. Um, I primarily work with busy entrepreneurs, CEOs, things like that, um, busy professionals, um, but the, the call is really open to anyone who's interested in learning more about the coaching and also looking for help trying to figure out their, their either health and wellness goals or, um, you know, kind of goals around their own life and, and uh, uh, purpose and prosperity in that sense, too. And so the 30-minute coaching call is literally they can just come and talk to me. We just talk about where they're at right now what they're kind of interested in, so what their potential goals might be. And then we kind of talk about simple things that they can start doing to get them closer to those goals. It's not necessarily a sales pitch or anything like that. Um, so it's really just for people who want a starting point and want to just kind of get an idea of what the coaching might feel like. Um, from there, I offer a six-month coaching program. I also offer a 12-month coaching program. And those we meet every um, every other week, so uh, twice a month for about an hour, and then we really get specific on the individual and the individual's goals and how they want to approach it. So it's really bio-individual. It's really about that person. And so each coaching session is really unique, and each uh, coaching program is really unique to that individual. Obviously, there are a ton of tools and resources that I bring in that I've learned over the years from my training and um, experience, but it really is an individual coaching program for that specific person. So I just wanted to say something about coaching because a lot of people mm -hmm. think this is something I don't need. I can figure it out, but it's kind of the same thing as you know how to exercise, mm -hmm. you know how to eat, but maybe you need someone who's an expert to kind of push you a little bit. And that's why you get a trainer or you get like a chef to give you a meal plan or something. Yeah. That's why these things are so important. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would say with coaching too is that, you know, you're absolutely right. Like there are things that people can learn by just going on Google or, you know, talking to other people. And that's something you can do. But having a coach is going to speed all of that up. So if you have 10 years to learn everything and start your business or your side hustle or, you know, get healthy or whatever, um, you can do that on your own, but it's going to take you a really long time. Having a coach who's already been through it, who has the information, who has the expertise, they're going to help you speed that up and get you to your goal much, much faster. And so um, I think there's a huge benefit to having coaches. I, I, I have tons. I, I've worked with tons of coaches and I'm so grateful that I have. What are some ways that everyone can work with you? So, yeah, so I, I provide a lot of resources online. Um, obviously, I'm on most of the social platforms, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm pretty careful about spending my time on those things because I think it's important to um, focus that time on other activities. Um, but most of the time, I would say I, I share most of the information on Instagram. Um, I also have a blog that I put regular content up, different tools and resources to learn about health and wellness and, and um, productivity. 
And then I have a podcast also called Health and Hustle. Um, and the podcast comes out every Wednesday. And so there's um, free content on there. I interview experts from all over the world, um, health and wellness, and then even experts about entrepreneurialism, um, marketing, different things like that. And so there's tons of ways to connect. And then obviously my coaching as well. Awesome. I'm going to put all your social media links in the show notes. Is there anything you'd like to say before we go? I just hope people take time to prioritize themselves because, you know, as silly as it really is, put your face mask on first because it will change your life and it'll make everything else in your life so much easier. So uh, don't feel guilty about taking time for yourself. And I just want to say thank you to you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here too. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.